Our number one priority is to stay strong, Westcon strong, during these challenging, uncertain, unprecedented, and difficult times of crisis, stress, and hardship. Here at the podcast at WCSU, we want you to know we are sending prayers and keeping you in our hearts, because we are all... <laughs> I'm Paul Steinmetz with Pete Puccio, and this is At WCSU, the podcast of news, information, and gossip about Western Connecticut State University. And today we're going to look at uh, how it's going with online learning. We're talking to three professors, Bill Petcanis from Communications, Sharon Young from Social Work, Forrest Robertson from Chemistry. They all have their PhDs. They're all doctors. I'd like to make sure everybody knows that, but I'm on a first-name basis for with all of them, so uh, they aren't going to get mad at me. And in this three-part series, we will hear about best practices, how this online learning has been going so far, and why online is not the long-term solution. And face-to-face is still going to be a big part of what we do at Westcon, even after we're all doing uh, a lot of social uh, closeness and having parties and all that kind of stuff. How does that all sound, Pete? Uh, Sounds good to me. All right. So we're going to start with Bill Petcanis. He's a professor of communications, and he's going to give us a look at kind of what works for him, what doesn't work, what he's tried, and it'll be a little bit of a tutorial about best practices for professors and students who are working through this online thing. Bill was practicing extreme social distancing. He ex- he recorded his own interview, so there's no Q&A on there. And here's Bill. Hi, this is Bill Petcanis from Department of Communication and Media Arts. I here in my audio closet at home. Uh, otherwise, I would be talking to uh, uh, Paul Steinmetz and Pete Buccio. So I'm just going to say hi, Paul. Hi, Pete. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. I'm here to talk about teaching online, uh, and especially for those of you who have not done it before and you're doing an emergency teaching online. A lot of my colleagues... If you've used Blackboard Learn for course management, then you're a little bit familiar with it, and it's a short walk from there to teaching online totally. If you've never used Blackboard, then it's a kind of a long walk. Uh, I started using a website for course management uh, long before um, Blackboard and started in the fall of 2014 when I taught my first online course. I've learned a lot since then. I didn't know what to expect except that I thought uh, we could somehow recreate the classroom experience, but I don't think that works because it's a very different environment. It calls for a different approach. It's the same curriculum, it's the same course, but you have to rethink the delivery and the timing. Uh, in terms of the students, online courses are not for everyone. It's only for students with a high degree of motivation and self-monitoring abilities, a high executive function Uh, who's meant to be there and who's not, like who knows when the due dates are and can follow that and who can't. Some of them are going to struggle because, especially in these emergency online courses, because they really are not the type of students who can handle it very well. If you're new to it, Blackboard is a pretty intimidating platform. It's not very intuitive. Uh, It can take uh, quite a while to learn to navigate. 
If you already use Blackboard for course management, it's very easy. If you're new, uh, course management software like Blackboard is really helpful. It's incredibly convenient for giving assignments, collecting them, commenting them, distributing copies of uh, supplemental material, tests, and papers. It's a lot like universal design in accessibility. You know, when you make a door that opens automatically so that someone with a wheelchair can go through more easily, everybody can go through more easily. And Blackboard's kind of like that for us and for students. It really makes course delivery and assignment collection very, very easy. So here are some things about teaching online in general and Blackboard in particular. The first is keep it simple. Blackboard is a very clunky environment. And by clunky, I mean it takes a lot of clicks and scrolling to get around. In some features, you can drag and drop a file in there. and some others, you have to go browse my computer to get them. And you don't know which it's going to pop up until you get there. It often takes you back to the beginning of a long scroll when you finish doing something. So to get to the next thing, you have to scroll way down to get there. When you start using it, you'll see what I mean. It offers much more than anyone needs. In course to tools, I use announcements, I use email. And uh, this is a great example of how you can tell Blackboard was created by engineers and not by someone who actually taught courses. Because when I first wanted to send email to the whole class, I looked under E because that's where you think email might be. It's under S for send email. And that's engineer thinking if I've ever seen it. The course tools offers achievements, attendance, blogs, bookshelves, percentage learning, mind links, whatever that is, content market tools, goal performance. I have no idea what most of these things are. I've never tried to use them. Don't be intimidated. Start out simple and work your way up if you think you need to. It's safe to ignore a lot of these things. Uh, secondly, don't try to replicate the classroom. The first reason is systemic. The online environment is not a classroom. If you're used to doing a lecture, you can record it as a video or an audio file and upload it to Blackboard. But I don't recommend trying to do a live class. For one thing, the tech isn't that good and not all students will have uh, powerful enough hardware to handle it. The next reason is students tend to do things on their phones, uh, which A, is not good educational environment, and B, it tends to be used in a way that makes Blackboard learn glitch, especially if they're trying to take an exam on the, their phones. Especially for emergency teaching, keep in mind that your students may be home with two or three other siblings also in school and one computer for all of them to share, so they won't be able to uh, necessarily make the class time as they used to when it was on the ground. Third, space things out. The preference I've developed is to have things due twice a week. Some people prefer once a week. I don't think more than twice a week works, uh, with the possible exception of summer courses, which are kind of condensed anyway. In this emergency teaching, I would keep the same class days as your class meets. I, I tend to open assignments one week before they're due, and students can decide on when to do them. This is probably not too different from what you do in the classroom. And kind of an interesting indication of what kind of students you've got. When I open the assignment, there are the small handful of students who do them in the day they become available. And then there's a larger group of students who do them 15 minutes before they're due at midnight on the uh, day they're due. I should mention my assignments tend to be due at midnight because uh, that's the default time in Blackboard. And so if you want a different time, you have to set it and it takes another click to it. If you want to leave it at uh, midnight, then it's more convenient.
Fourth thing in my system is pre-class preparation. I assign a reading and then either a physical text or increasingly it's an open educational resource I can insert into Blackboard. I give them some kind of writing assignment based on the reading where they have to identify something or give their opinion on something or answer a few questions. The agenda here is that makes them have to read the reading before they uh, do the assignment. And then uh, after that, I write and post a review of the concepts important in the reading and review what they've written. And this is the equivalent or my equivalent of the class. I respond to what they've written, which may take the form of quoting some of them, giving the arguments that they presented. Uh, when the class disagreed on some issue, I like to express that. And my take on things, I like to include graphics and make this as interesting and engaging as possible. At first, I tried to respond to every student individually, but doing this two times a week times the total number of students makes this really impossible. I write the feedback to all of them together, which is not so different from what happens in class when I speak to the class as a whole. This is a modification of how I do on-ground classes. The prep for on-ground classes is the same, using Blackboard, but I download the responses to my tablet and bring it to class. I review the PowerPoint slides and talk about their responses and then do what I call an application where I divide the students into four or five groups and give them a task based on the unit for that day. Then they report their results to the class. In the online environment, I would like to put them in groups, and you can, but going back to what I said about equipment and time, I got a lot of resistance from students. Almost all never could get all the members online at the same time and move to group email, which is a different environment, and not one that really encourages group discussion. Conversation is spontaneous and organic, and texting and writing is more self-aware medium. Uh, so I give them applications to do individually, and I review their responses in the feedback file. Blackboard Learn is great for collecting writing assignments and papers, and you can do this as also do tests. Because of the kinds of courses I teach, I'm looking for them to demonstrate how to interpret and apply concepts so I can give open book tests, which are fine for online courses. And it's the same thing I do in the on-ground classes. If your discipline doesn't allow for that, this is a drawback of Blackboard Learn. There are online proctoring services, but we don't have them yet, although I believe we're in the process of looking at them. You can have fun online if you make podcasts, if you like to, like I do. Uh, learn, I learned to make them short. The, my first ones were 20 minutes long, and there was a tremendous outcry from the students about them being the equivalent of too long didn't read is too long didn't listen. I keep them down to two or three minutes now. You can do this if you have a little audio closet like I do, or you can just use your phone to record these things. Finally, online does not replace face-to-face -face classes. For one, some students just can't handle that environment. And let's face it, teaching people in front of you is fun. Fun for us, and if we do it well, maybe fun for the students as well. Online also can be fun. It's a little more distant and reserved, but it, uh, in writing text, you can also have a lot of fun in how you do that. Thanks for listening, and best of luck in your online world. Cool. Um, did you want to? Do we have any news from campus or anything? Or you know, uh, let's see. Uh... There is a uh, MFA thesis exhibition going on that's all online.
Oh, okay. So we am completely uh, cut off. No. So that's a good. I could talk. We could talk about that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So if you're a student here, you know that the weekly email called "What's Up at Westcon" or "Wow" comes out once a week. We haven't been sending out emails about it, but it has been updated because there still is a few things going on on campus. Actually, there's a virtual exhibition of art by the MFA painters, and I guess sculptors, that you can view online. And it goes on for several more weeks. You can go to the school, the website or webpage for School of Visual and Performing Arts and see it there and then um, get the tour of all this excellent art that our MFA students have done. It uh, will feel like uh, something refreshing and non-COVID-19. And it'll be almost like, well, you should get yourself a little glass of Chardonnay and you can pretend you're walking through the art gallery there at the um, uh, Visual and Performing Arts Center. Okay, great. Yeah. And... I don't know. That's probably that for this for that for this week. We there is construction going on on campus. No one is allowed to go near it except the construction workers. But there's work going on in Whitehall, which is going to look a lot better uh, when they're done and it's on schedule. And they're still planning for the future. Berkshire Hall plans are still going forward. And a little update at uh, Higgins and Fairfield Hall, as you may know, is going to be closed to students it won't be a residence hall in the fall for a year as we shut it down and do some work on that it'll be open the year after that so there's still activity on the physical campus don't go near it though we have police patrolling and they don't want you there and uh, most of us can't actually get in anymore they took away our key cards or the ability of the key cards to work yeah I think I was... they shut off every student yeah, I was on campus yesterday uh, shooting some video of, of exteriors and stuff, and it was it was very strange. Uh, I did see a couple construction guys, a few cars here and there, but very, very quiet. No people, no. Yeah. It was strange. Did you go into the tunnels that run from Fairfield to the uh, steam boiler? Not yesterday, but I have been down there, and it's uh, it's pretty exciting. I had wanted to go in there for... I think it was about 20 years before I actually got to yeah. do it. So, Yeah, I want to go down there, too. And while I was in there, the guy I was with said, uh, I asked about the, there's all kinds of conduit and pipes and everything. And I asked about the pipes. He goes, yeah, if one of those steam pipe bursts, you, uh, you'd be dead before you know it. I was like, all right, where's the exit, please? I'm, I think I'm done here. <laughs> this was fun. There's also the attic in Old Main that apparently looks kind of cool. Oh, that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, there's stuff they stored up there for the last, I don't know, 100 years, and uh, plus all the old beams and stuff. And, of course, you have to get super permission from somebody. I don't even know who to go up there. But maybe yeah. someday we'll take your little, uh, you know, uh, your camera up there and we'll go uh, buzz it. Yeah, let's do it. Or get invited. You have to invite me and vice versa. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> good. Something to look forward to. Oh, Chantel. Uh, have we heard from Chantel? 
No, I am thinking I'll email her and see if she wants to do one final, uh, you know, wrap up towards the end of the semester. She's um, ignoring me, which is her prerogative. <laughs> I'm a little hurt, but uh, maybe she's listening to some of our podcasts and can call in at some point. Maybe she's just so distraught that she can't come on the show that she doesn't want to, you know, cry, be a part of it. Yeah. On air. Yeah, that could be. I'll try to talk. I'll try to reach her and talk her down. Right. And I'll say that you miss her. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Excellent. So I think that'll do it for this week. But uh, please tune in next week. We'll have more. I guess we'll have Sharon Young, right, from the social work department. She's excited to talk about her experiences with online teaching. And uh, we'll have more updates from what's happening on campus here at Westcon. Great. All right. Thanks, Pete. All right. Stay safe. You too. At WCSU is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Fulton. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at WCSU Media and on the university's Facebook and Twitter pages. And feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening.